Today we're going to talk about the significance of identity, who we are. Who are we as a church? What are we supposed to do? Because if you know what your identity is, then you know what your priorities are. And how can you have the right priorities if you don't have the right, right identity? And we're going to talk about these things because it's always an issue for us. It's an issue for us as individuals. It's an, in, it's an issue for us as a church. Because there are always these voices saying, here's who you should be. Therefore, here's what you should do. Here's who you should be. Here's what you should do. And we're always being told who to be and what to do. And so we end up sometimes struggling with what we, we, what we call crisis of identity and an identity crisis. And it's a problem that won't go away. It's a challenge that will continue to happen. And so this morning, I would like to have us talk about it. Who are we? Who are we? What is our identity? And therefore, what are we supposed to do? What, what are our priorities? What are the priorities of Omaha Bible Church? What are your priorities as a Christian, as a member of Omaha Bible Church? Another way of putting that is, what are our convictions? Because conviction and priority, priority go together. If these are priorities, we, we own these things. We're committed to these things. They're, they're conviction. They're, uh, they're deep-seated within our hearts. These, we're going to do these things no matter what if they're priorities. Um, sort of like in your life. If you have to get something done, it's a priority. And you end up saying no to other things, other distracting things, sometimes good and important things, but for a time, at least, in that case, you've got to set them aside because you've got a priority. And part of that then is a conviction. I've got to do this first because it's most important. Well, life in the church for us as a church, for us as Christians, is a lot like that. What is our priority related to who are we? What has God called us to do? How can we own these things so that if need be, we say no to other things because this is who we are. This can't change. This is how it has to be. And where I'd like you to turn to see this is in the book of Titus. So the New Testament book of Titus, it's called a pastoral letter because Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 first, first Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It's a short three-chapter little book and uh, opening up at is very clear about priorities and, and convictions and things that, that must happen. And so we're going to look at Titus this morning. I know I said we are going to do Jonah, Judges, and John, because they all start with J, so that's how I decided. <laughs> we finished sorry. We finished Jonah. Um, I want to do some some in Judges, um, but I also just added to the list, Titus. Uh, we won't take a long time in Titus, but I was asked to speak at a conference and, and preach some sermons out of Titus and started reading Titus and praying and thinking. And before you know it, it's like, oh, this is, this is so awesome. This is so good. And so two birds with one stone. I thought this is too good not to do at Omaha Bible Church. And so, um, and selfishly, you're going to help me get ready for the conference that I'll do next month. So um, we can blame God and say, you know, the Holy Spirit led me to do this, and I, I think he did. But even if he didn't, and it was just my selfishness, I'm going to preach the Bible, and so all things work together for good. Um, you kind of see what I'm saying. Um, but in all sincerity, I can't help but study Titus and think Omaha Bible Church, because Omaha Bible Church is, is my church. It's a church where I belong. and So I just couldn't help but think in those terms. And so 
We're going to see Titus. We'll read the opening verses in a second. It's really a strong letter. I, I, I was struck at first by, wow, this is commanding. This is really strong. And then you more, you, the, the more you read and consider, why would it be strong? Well, because you need to have convictions about these things. Why would you need to have convictions about these things? Because there are all these other voices trying to get you to do other things. And, you know, reinvent yourself as a church or as a pastor or as a Christian. No, these are, these are the heartfelt, deep-seated priorities slash convictions And in order to be a true church, these these are the non-negotiables. So it makes sense. So one more thing. I'm excited about this. So in the opening verses where Paul is introducing himself, um, talking about himself, what you end up seeing is, is a little taste, a little foretaste of what he's going to go and unpack with Titus. So it's very interesting when you read the whole, you, you see the connections and, and you read in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and later in chapter 1 and you think, this was in micro form in his introduction. And so we're just going to see some of these convictions coming out from Paul and then we'll see them later when he's exhorting Titus. Um, and I apologize right now if I call Titus Timothy. It just I'm used to talking about Paul and Timothy and I know I'm going to call him Timothy, so I'm sorry. I mean Titus. Um, you would probably make the same mistake. I mean, it's just like, oh. So, in Titus, let's read the opening five verses, Paul writing to Titus, a pastor who's like Timothy. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began... And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order, into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed as I directed you. He's already speaking out of conviction. He's already telling us about himself as someone who has super strong convictions, and that's why he's going to say to Titus the things that he says. If you'd like an outline for this morning, we're going to look at seven conviction words, okay? Seven, I'll, I'll keep it to one word for an outline, but we'll look at seven words that have to do with conviction, okay? That, that help you to not have an identity crisis. Paul didn't have an identity crisis. He didn't want Titus to have an identity crisis. And therefore, he didn't want the church at Crete to have an identity crisis. I don't want to have an identity crisis when it comes to being a Christian and a pastor. And I don't want Omaha Bible. Omaha, I'm talking so fast. I... I don't want Omaha Bible Church to have an identity crisis because we're talking about things that are eternal. I think we'll get seven of them done today, but it just depends on how excited we all get. (laughs) The first conviction word would be the word authority. The word authority. We see authority. We see that Paul is under authority, and he has authority. 
in the opening verse. He's under authority because he's a servant of God, do you see? And he has authority because he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. We need, we need to consider both of those. He's a, literally, as your margin, marginal note says, and a lot of the Bibles you're carrying says, he's a slave of God. Okay? He will go on in chapter 3 to talk about how unbelievers are slaves. We're slaves to our various passions. No one's free. We're all enslaved to something as sinners. And so we were enslaved to sin. Paul talks about that in Ephesians as well as unbelievers. And then we now have a gracious master. Through Christ, we're bought out of the slave market and we belong to a gracious, kind master. We belong to God, though. Paul, with conviction, calls himself a slave. I am under the, a word, authority of God. I belong to Him. I am not a free man. No one is. That's good for us to see, coming out in conviction. Authority is a major issue. We don't like authority. We tend to do what the bumper sticker says, question authority. And there's a place for that. But we need to remember, as Christians, we're under the authority of God, the gracious authority of God. But we're not free to be our own men and women when it comes to life as Christians and life in the church. Nor would we want to be, because the all-wise, all-knowing, all-gracious, kind, merciful God has made us His own. And now, if you will, we're free to act like human beings. Because we're slaves of God. And so Paul is very clear on that. And it's a common theme that he uses. And it's a good one for us to remember. We're not free to, to do whatever we want to do as a church. Church at Crete isn't either. Paul isn't either. He's not asking them to be something that he himself isn't willing to be or isn't. But also notice he has authority. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Titus is a red-letter book. That's the simplest way I can put it. I like red-letter Bibles because I can find things easier. But in another sense, red-letter Bibles are terrible. Because the Bible teaches that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's all God's Word. And if Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, he speaks with the authority of Christ. It's amazing to be an apostle. You have the authority of Christ. It's an authority word. Even as it's used outside of the New Testament, just as the idea, the concept, when you speak, you speak for the king. These aren't your words. These are his words. And so when we read this and we think, well, that's just Paul. Who does he think he is? An apostle! Oh, wow! He has authority. He has extraordinary authority. This is just an aside, but that's why when people say they're apostles today, I don't buy it. I mean, I think they're, they're you know, anyway, I'm not going there. <laughs> For other reasons. But it's a, it's a huge, extraordinary, big deal with unique qualifications because when you talk, Jesus' words come out, okay? Okay? 
So the reason I'm making a big deal out of it here, he speaks with authority because, or he speaks with conviction because he's under authority and he's speaking authoritative words that really aren't his own, though coming through his personality because of settings and contexts. There's conviction here, the necessary conviction. And then we should be feeling conviction, like, oh yeah, these are weighty words. These are heavy words. We, 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 we've got to be this kind of church. We've got to be these kinds of people. These have to be our priorities. Because Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's, it's not up for negotiating. Remember, Jesus is said to have been given all authority. So he is the authority on the matter. And when he speaks through apostles, it's heavy. And we can think, I don't like that. Or we'd be much better off to think, isn't it great to have authority? Isn't it great to know the authoritative word on the matter has been delivered? Again, now, all of a sudden, it's not terrible. We don't have to fumble around in the dark looking for the next big fad. When we're told, as we will be told in this book, here's what a church is supposed to be and do. Here are your priorities. Here's where your conviction should lie. It's like, yes! Awesome! We're free to act like we're supposed to. We don't have to be by everybody else's whims. Oh, you got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that. If you're going to be effective, you got to go here. No, we've heard from the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, love it. That's good kind of authority, good kind of conviction. And so when Paul is going to speak to Titus strongly, he has the right to do so. How about if you just preview? Look at chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul says to Timothy, declare these things. He's in command mode telling Timothy, or, or I did it, Titus. Declare, that, that's an authoritative stance. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke. And then he adds, for good measure, with all authority. So Paul is speaking authoritatively because he's under the authority, authority of Christ. And he's speaking authoritatively to Titus, who is to act as one who has authority. Not in and of himself but because of the, the line that goes back. So, by practice, then we can extend it out to the church at Crete. They're to be a church with authority. Not in and of themselves, but to, they, they can say, this is what we must do. This is God's will for our life. By application, we should be able to speak with conviction, this is who we are, this is what we must do. It's not up for debate or negotiation. When we're pushed into a corner, even though we don't like to use the W word, we would have to say, to do otherwise is wrong. It's conviction. It's with authority. Chapter 1, verse 9, he'll call Titus to rebuke. That's an authoritative kind of thing. In chapter 1, verse 13, he'll tell Titus to rebuke sharply. And what's interesting in the, the book that I haven't mentioned yet, it, it's all about the church being for the promoting and protecting of the gospel. 
the work of Christ, person of Christ, how salvation works, how spiritual growth works and how it's related to the gospel. And these are matters that we have to have such strong convictions about as a church that we hear from authority and we take an authoritative stance because we're under authority. Isn't this good? Man, I'm like, I love this kind of stuff. Free to be who we're supposed to be. Okay, another authoritative word, number two, conviction kind of word, is election. Election. Divine election, that is. Paul has convictions about election. He has strong convictions about divine election. And he wants Timothy to, to feel it, if you will, or sense it, if you will, or Titus, to feel it or sense it. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith, it's dealing with the gospel, we're going to talk about that, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's, that's spicy. Okay? Some of you are probably thinking, I, I want to forget that is ever even in the Bible. I hate the book of Titus. Not really. And others of you are like, underline, you know, so hard that it's going to scratch through to the other side of the page. It's spicy. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, God's chosen, same word, originally. Paul says, I do what I do for the sake of God's elect. I do what I do for the sake of those that God has chosen. With conviction. He's expressing it with conviction. So Titus can sense that conviction and have that conviction if he doesn't have it already. So then Timothy can communicate to the church at Crete so they can have it so that it does guide and direct the way they do ministry. What their priorities are. Their priorities are about getting the gospel out to those so that they will believe for the sake of the elect, those God has chosen. Huh. Now this is pretty hard if you don't even believe in election. It's really hard if you don't believe in it to have conviction about it. Many people have convictions against it. I would submit to you it's really hard to have a church act like a church if they don't not only believe it but have conviction about it. That this is right. This is actually, by the way, going to influence the way we proclaim Christ. And our fervency. We want the elect to hear. We want everyone to hear so that the elect respond. And come to faith in Christ. It's fascinating. He's modeling this for Titus. A great perspective when it comes to identity. A great perspective when it comes to evangelism. We've got to evangelize people. We don't know who the elect are, by the way, until they believe in Jesus. So we're called to preach Christ to everybody. There's an emphasis in Titus on evangelism. Okay? What's our place in this world? To be against unbelievers who are against us? No. To preach Christ to them. Because you know what? God has chosen people before the foundation of the world. We'll get to that in Ephesians 1. And if God has done that from all different kinds of tribes, tongues, and nations, we're going to preach Christ to everybody because we do all things for the sake of God's elect. 
Yeah, but if I preach Christ to, to my friend yesterday, he might not like me anymore. All things for the sake of the elect. I guess I'm going to open my mouth up and start talking about Jesus. Because by conviction, I want to do what I do as a Christian. We want to do what we do as a church for all things for the sake of God's elect and their faith coming to know Christ. Super relevant. It was relevant to me yesterday on a bike ride. All things for the sake of the elect. This guy might not like me anymore. I have no choice. I have convictions. I've got to tell them about Jesus. It's awesome, practical, helpful. It's what we do. It reflects who we are. You don't need to turn there, but uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, uh, not Titus, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's the same conviction. He's telling Timothy how to do church. He's telling Titus how to do church. Well, it's really hard to do church and be a true church if you don't have that, that conviction. You do all things out of this, for the sake of the elect. I like it. I remember one time preaching through Second Timothy on a Sunday night. And after I, I... I mean, I didn't say much more than that. I mean, I just read the text and explained it a little bit. And two different seminary graduates from evangelical seminaries decided that night that it was time for them and their families to no longer be at Omaha Bible Church because they said they don't believe in election. I just have to say, don't have that be you. can we be a church with the right kinds of convictions that will guide ministry if we don't even believe things that the Bible says? Now, maybe we need to understand them better. Maybe we need to, to grow. I need to grow in my, my presentation of these things and understanding. All things for the sake of God's elect. Okay, let's figure that out and let's Share Christ with anybody and everybody because we do all things for the sake of God's elect. We don't limit ourselves saying we only evangelize the elect. Come to me, I know who they are. <laughs> no, that would be wrong. And that's not Paul's emphasis. Nor do we say there's no such thing because that wouldn't be good or something. If we're going to be a church, we've got to have these kinds of convictions that will guide and direct us and keep us as, if you will, a church. Promoting and protecting the gospel seems to be related to having this kind of conviction. Okay, a third word. Another conviction word is truth. Truth. So Paul says to Titus, for the sake of the faith, this is in verse 1 again, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. He 
And in Titus, he uses the truth in relationship to the gospel. The truth about Jesus. The truth about Jesus' person and work. The truth about salvation and how it works. And how it relates to unbelievers and how it relates to believers. Okay, their knowledge of the truth. He wants, he wants unbelievers who are the elect of God to come to believe the truth. The truth about Jesus. Now, I'm separating the word out just so we can put a little emphasis on it because we tend to, to function in an environment where, where the truth, objective reality outside of us, is downplayed. It's your truth, my truth. It's how I feel. It's how you feel. We can both believe polar opposites and both be right. And the, the emphasis in this book is on the truth about Jesus. So objective that it's related to incarnation. That, that, that he really came here and really became one of us. Objective. They, they, I'm thinking of John 1. They, that, that we touched him. That he really suffered. That he really and truly died. The objective. That he truly bodily rose again from the dead. The truth. Well, we need to remember that Christianity is about the truth. The truth about Jesus. And, and, and believe that with conviction. Titus is also going to talk about, the book of Titus is going to talk about the faith. In a similar kind of way. We're not just talking about faith as a aura or a feeling. The faith the truth regarding Christ and what He's done and how He saves and how He doesn't save. and we're, we're supposed to. Paul has convictions about these things. It's not up for negotiation. We should have convictions about these things. Real, genuine. I do love it in verse 2, in, in hope of eternal life. We have to have the truth about Jesus in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, love that. You've got the truth, and we have God who never lies. This is so crucial, so important. It's not up for debate, not up for negotiation. And maybe I'm making what you think is too big of a deal out of this, but sometimes because in the name of all kinds of things, Christians who have gone before us and Christians who exist now and Christians who will exist in the future, you know, for the sake of the peace, for the sake of unity, for the sake of in the name of love or whatever it might be, you know, you don't have to actually believe that that really happened and I do believe that it really happened and really we're saying the same thing as long as we're both sincere. But, but if you're not protecting the gospel, you don't have a gospel to promote. And the gospel is tied to the truth, having to do with objectivity, the, the, the genuine work of Jesus. And it never ends well. So if we think in long term, okay, everyone in the room thinks, how can we be relevant how can we be relevant to God? How can, how, how can we be relevant to others and most helpful? It will never be by compromising when it comes to the truth. We can compromise about a lot of other things on other levels. 
These are conviction kinds of things. Titus, I'm going to talk to you about the truth. So when people in your church, Titus, or outside of your church, some who name Christ, some who don't name Christ, try to tell you the gospel is different, you rebuke them severely. I don't want to do that. People who like to do stuff like that are the kind of people I don't want to go on vacation with. Right? People in their right mind don't get off on stuff like that, right? Get a thrill. Get a high from it. That's what I mean. But he's got to do it. It's interesting. We'll get into this. Titus has to be the, be the big boy strong man as a pastor. And train the church to, to act the same way. So much so that there's going to be accusation probably that he just has a bad temper. And so even Paul talking to Titus tempers that with where this should truly come from. Anyway, we'll get to that. You're just jumping ahead. Having too much excitement. Too excited about all this. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 says that the church is a pillar and support of the truth. So it's what we do. It's what we're about. Okay, we better keep going. Let's go to number four. Uh, let's use the word godliness. We need to have convictions about godliness. We'll talk about what we mean by that in a second. It's a hot topic, but let's go ahead and see the verse. In verse one again, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So, knowledge of the truth about the gospel in context, which accords with godliness, which is related to godliness, which is inseparably linked to godliness, which produces godliness. We could say it in different ways. This is a big deal at the church at Crete. In one way or another, it's never stopped being a big deal. Where does godliness come from? Where, where, where does spiritual maturity come from? Where does uh, obedience come from? Where, what category do we put it in? Um, maybe in, in our non-Christian kind of culture, where does spirituality come from? Or where does it fit in? It's an important issue. Paul has convictions as an apostle about godliness and how it relates to the gospel. And he wants Tim, Titus to have those convictions because part of the problem is these voices are speaking into the lives of the people in the church at Crete about godliness and they're listening and before you know it, they're not believing the gospel anymore. So Titus has to be cleared on this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm just summarizing, but we're going to get there, especially in chapter 3. But godliness is related. Godliness is an effect. Godliness is produced. Godliness results by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he'll talk about the Holy Spirit in relationship to the work of Christ. They're not, they're not to be divorced. You don't say godliness on your part leads to salvation. He's going to clear that up. But you don't say salvation doesn't lead to godliness. 
or isn't linked to godliness. Or in order to have godliness, you have to have some, something new and extra. He's going to sort some of that out. Because we need to, if we're going to help people grow, obey, do good works because we're supposed to do good works. Titus emphasizes good works a fair amount. We've got to have convictions about these things. That godliness is important and that godliness is not tied to us and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or having some new special anointed Gnostic teacher. It's actually related to Jesus and the gospel. So he's going to get into that, and that'll be important. And it's a hot topic, and it'll never stop being a hot, to- hot topic. Uh, maybe just by way of preview, uh, don't take my word for it. How about if you look at chapter 2, verse 11? 2, 11, and 12 will, will, will be where Paul instructs on the same matter that he's expressing conviction about in chapter 1. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared... It's talking about in Jesus through the gospel, bringing salvation for all people. This is gospel talk. Verse 12, talking about the gospel, talking about salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Work of Jesus, gospel-related, trains us in godliness. So he's gonna, we'll get into that, but I just wanted to at least point that out to you. Okay, another word. Fifth word that we need to have convictions about is the word promise. Promise. I'm tempted to use a different word because we break promises. But we need to use the word promise because it's in our text. Verse 2. In hope, in, in, in the New Testament, that would be confidence not wishful thinking, in hope, in confidence of eternal life. That's what this whole thing is about, this gospel and and that matter of church ministry and what we do and who we are. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. So we need to have conviction about promise Not just any kind of promise. We need to have conviction if we're going to do biblical ministry and think biblically and act biblically and do evangelism biblically. We need to have a perspective, uh, a conviction about promise for eternal life before the ages began. Some of your margins or marginal notes in your Bible, some of your Bibles might say, uh, the one I was looking at said, Greek before times eternal. It's like Paul says in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. Before time began, there's a promise for eternal life to come. God has a plan. God has made a promise. Before time ever even began as we know it, God had a plan to save sinners. Dare I say in our context, the elect of God. Yeah, I think so. Huh. That's kind of hard for me to get my mind around. Because I wasn't there. 
And, and I can't relate because I've never done anything before time began. But it's what the Apostle Paul says. Before time began, there's a promise to save sinners. We should have convictions about this. Not convictions against it. How are we supposed to be a church? We're a club. Right? I'm going to name it. This, it's the religion called Pattyanity. I get publishing rights. Probably won't sell many copies of anything. Not convictions against it, convictions for it. We are talking about the God who before time began had a redemptive plan to save and bring eternal life to His elect. Whoa! Who are we dealing with here? These are, this, we're treading on sacred ground. Yeah, we believe that. So we preach Christ to everybody knowing that God has had this plan and it's going to come to reality and faith is going to come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10. This is exciting. This is bigger than you. This is bigger than me. We're talking about a being that doesn't live in your zip code. Whoa! And if we look at other passages, we won't right now, we can see that absolutely God planned. The triune God planned. That the Father and Son had a, if you will, dialogue back then and committed to doing this. This, this staggers my pea brain. Whoa. I want to have convictions about this. I really want to have convictions about this. Well, more, more could be said. I'd love to say more. I have a whole page of notes. If I can just, just nudge you. It doesn't sound very good. If I could just gently push you. Uh, maybe in the weeks to come, I will rebuke you sharply. Uh, <laughs> and be biblical. No, that's, that's, that's for opponents, and, I, and we're not talking about opponents. Friends, just encourage you and, and, and push you from your thinking where you are now, maybe in your own little zip code kind of world. We're talking about the transcendent, eternal God, the triune God, who purposed to do this. Has a plan that we see unfolding when people are coming to faith in Christ. It's, it's extraordinary. I would say it's epic, but epic doesn't mean epic anymore because we use it for everything. <laughs> okay, we need to be done. So, should we save the last two? I think we should save the last two. Um, rats. We, we need to be done. I'm under, I'm under the authority of many, many... Um, Never mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we, we need to be done. Having said that, we'll pick this up next week. And, and again, this is for us to be free to be who we're supposed to be. Encouraged by who we're supposed to be. Glorifying Christ by acting and thinking like who we're supposed to be. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
And if you think, but if we're this kind of church, no one will want to come here. Well, we're catering to the wrong audience. One thing is sure, if we want to remain relevant in God's eyes, we'll embrace such things, and we will always be relevant. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing for the fences here. We will always be relevant to our target audience who is none other than the elect of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said a hundred or so years ago, are we seeking to amuse the goats or feed the sheep? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. We'll end on that. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the saints at Omaha Bible Church. We are weak and sinful and helpless and incompetent and on our own enslaved to various passions and lusts. And so we thank you for your work of redemption. We thank you for the, the new birth that comes as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful that we're able to no longer be hostile against you, but to be able to agree with you and to say yes and amen. Give us a passion to communicate the gospel to people. Give us a passion that would start today. And if we already have a passion, Lord, please just use your word and your spirit to, to fuel the fire that we would speak appropriately, that we would speak lovingly, that we would speak truthfully about, the, about Jesus to those around us, that we would have the Apostle Paul's kind of drive and mentality and conviction that we're doing all things for the sake of the elect, that they might come to believe in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.